If you're not unlocking the full value of your SaaS, what are you doing? There is no denying it. SaaS is mission critical to your company's growth and success. And as the number two operating expense for most organizations, it's your biggest opportunity to save money and drive efficiency. The time is now to do something about it. Please take this as your personal invitation to join me and your fellow IT, SAM, finance, and procurement leaders at SASME on May 16th, 2023. SASME is the industry's only dedicated SaaS management event where you can sharpen your skills, hear from your peers, and learn how to unlock value and responsible business growth through smarter SaaS management. It's virtual, it's free, and it's going to knock your socks off. Register today at sasme.com. That's S-A-A-S me.com. It's time to get your sassing gear. Are you with me? You kind of look at tooling from a must have, need to have, nice to have perspective, right? And to me, SAS management is a must have. And the reason why I believe that, again, going back to leaning on the metric, right? It's the number two spend in especially SaaS companies, right? And for more traditional legacy or on-premise companies, it's going to be a cost that continues to creep up. And traditional software asset tracking solutions aren't going to help you manage SaaS. Hello, hello, and welcome to SaaS Me Unfiltered, the SaaS management podcast, the show with give it to you straight, real life advice from pros knee deep in SaaS every single day. SaaS management superheroes just like you. We are back for another episode of SaaS Me Unfiltered. Really excited to have you join us in the first episode of our second season. I'm Corey Wheeler, Chief Customer Officer at Zylo. And I'm Ashley Hickman, Manager of Customer Success at Zylo. We are very excited to welcome a special guest with us today. This guest uh, has an extensive IT background, began his career in consulting at Oracle, which really gave him that breadth of experience that's really needed to step into a CIO role. He saw how large ERP implementations handle a lot of internal challenges at his companies and built solutions around problems. From there, he moved into IT leadership in software as a service, was at Ancestry.com, Fusion.io, and others. Most importantly to us on the show, of course, is that he is a two-time Xylo customer, most notably at Instructure, where he was our ninth ever customer. So he holds a very special place in all of our hearts. Uh, But he led IT at Instructure, taking on IT and systems, growing into that CIO capacity, where now he has built and led IT organizations from the ground up. Currently, he is at Salsify, leading technology and business platforms. He resides in Salt Lake City, Utah, has a passion for all things Italy, which I know he shares with our my co-host, Ashley. And he is an avid bagpiper, which is so awesome. So welcome to the show, Gordon Atkin. Thanks, Corey. Thank you for the introduction. I'm happy to be here. And uh, you did a great uh, job of introducing me. Thank you so much. <laughs> we like to gas up our, yeah. our, our the folks that we have on the show. It's a special episode having you on. We've had a fantastic relationship going back over six years. You are you know, one of those early entrants and early adopters of SaaS management. So we're going to dive into a lot of content around that. 
Now, before we jump into the interview, we'd love to get your take on something. We're calling this segment Hot Takes with Tom. Our colleague, Tom McCorkle, is going to share a Zylo point of view, and we'd love for you to tell us what you think, whether you agree or disagree, and why. Are you ready? I am. Okay. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Hot Takes with Tom, a give-it-to-you-straight point of view on SaaS management and optimization. It doesn't matter what your business is, every company needs to be managing SaaS, and here's four reasons why. On-prem is going to the cloud, and if your company started in the last 20 years, you're likely already SaaS forward. If you aren't managing that, you're already behind. SaaS is your second top-line item next to employees, and it's very easy to overspend. Silo finds that companies are overspending by about 15% across their whole portfolio. SaaS is one of the greatest areas of risk with some of the lowest levels of visibility. 77% of SaaS spend and ownership is happening outside of IT, and IT can't manage what they can't see. And finally, your SaaS landscape is changing every single day. That makes it hard to keep up with the likely eight new apps entering your environment every single month. So I ask, if you aren't managing SaaS today, why? Most of my experience has been working in SaaS companies, especially in the past 10 years. And so I can't imagine why you wouldn't want to have a program around managing SaaS spend. In fact, even most recently, as two days ago, I was talking with our head of FP&A, and we were talking specifically around how do we implement a SaaS management program? It is, as, as you said, the top expense in our company next to payroll and headcount costs, right? And so you have to really take an approach that's evaluating that cost and the processes around managing that cost. If you're not managing that cost, then that tells me that either you don't really have a lot of SaaS spend or you don't understand the space and you do not, don't really have a full understanding of the landscape of SaaS within your organization. So I can imagine that some companies who are very legacy on-prem driven may not have that need as much as companies like us who are born native in the cloud and live in the cloud day to day. But I would say more and more, it's going to be something that you have to pay attention to without question. Gordon, Corey gave a great introduction of your experience really in the CIO landscape. You've had an opportunity to, to kind of grow into that role at Instructure and since have since been working with a lot of companies in that capacity. And something that you've done, and I think is very unique to the people that we've had on thus far, is you've had the opportunity to take three different organizations public, go through that IPO process. So I would love to hear what needs to happen in an IT organization as a CIO when you are going through that, when you're about to take a company public, kind of what's your playbook? What does that process look like? Yeah, I really kind of boil it down to a few different buckets. One of the big, big buckets is process and control, making sure that we've got the right processes in place and that we're giving our auditors comfort around our change control practices. In the first IPO that I went through, which was with Ancestry.com, it was the learning experience for me, for sure. And I was kind of uh, boots on the ground at that point in time. I was a in a senior manager role responsible for the financial systems. And that was my first experience to know how much an auditor pays attention to the tech stack that you're using that's reporting financial numbers. And so they pay very, very close attention to not just what are the processes that the finance team is doing, but what is the technical team doing? Are the proper segregation of duties? You know, do you have the processes to manage changes and give, you know, some reliability on, on the financial numbers that are being reported? So that's one of the buckets is making sure that you've got process and control in place. Access and change management is another big bucket. You know, making sure that, again, back to segregation of duties, that there is a very clear line of responsibility between who does what and how they do it. At my second IPO, well, I guess my third IPO with, with Instructure, 
we paid a lot of attention to this category because we had a small, a smaller IT team. And so there were a lot of people who were making the changes and promoting the changes into production. Whereas an auditor wants to see someone who develops the change and then someone else who promotes the change to production, right? And through that exercise, what we were able to do and understand is that there's actually segregation of duties is important and making sure that who has access to do what is important. But one of the things that we learned in there was like what we call post-audit validations. So when you have a smaller team, you can implement post-audit, you know, post-production audits, so to speak, validations, so that when that change to production is deployed, the auditor can see that you're actually doing a review of that code because the person who developed it also deployed it and you want to make sure that there's control around that change and that it's actually working as designed. So access and change management becomes really, really important to an auditor. You've got to have, you know, strict policies around that. You know, you've got to have things tied to Okta and to onboarding and offboarding, terminating access, all of those processes that people view as like, hey, we need to have a good onboarding experience and a good offboarding experience for our employees. It really does. When you're a public company, those are very key controls that an auditor wants to make sure that you have something solid in place. And then I think the third bucket really is going to be around, you know, how are you going to manage the growth of your environment and making sure that you've got a strategy that is connected to an executive that is aligned to the executive strategy. Like auditors do care about, is there alignment from the top to the bottom around an IT strategy, right? And how you're going to grow that strategy over time. And so they want to make sure that you've got a strategy that's connected to at the highest level. And so making sure that you've got steering committees, that you've got things that really connect your vision to the, to the overall company vision is, is what I would say are some of the key lessons that I learned going through each IPO. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so going through each IPO, you know, you've been an IT leader, CIO in several organizations now, and this gives you a unique kind of perspective on companies that you're coming into, initiatives that you're implementing. What is your, as you think about it, and you're in your third month right now, or sorry, yeah, your third month at Salsify, what's that three, six, nine month playbook that you run that allows you to be an effective fast moving CIO in these organizations? Yeah, I really rely on Gartner's playbook, to be honest. And I've relied on it ever since I've got introduced to Gartner's playbook back when I was at Instructure, you know, in the mid 2010s, I guess is how we refer to it now. And one of the key parts of Gartner's model is really looking at and evaluating where are you? Where does the company want you to be from an operating model perspective? There's kind of five levels that you can be from an operating model perspective. You can be, hey, let's keep the lights on type of business. Let's protect the company. Let's make sure that company, you know, that employees are getting their laptops, that they're secure, and that we're just running the business effectively. We're not doing major changes or or dramatic changes. That requires a different level of staffing and strategy than if you want to grow, enhance, or transform the business, right? right. And so really you have to align where does the company want you to be and based off of where you want where they want you to be, right? If they want you to kind of be in that grow and enhance phase, then that's a different staffing model. That's a different, totally entirely different operating model than even and let's transform the business. Like let's be very transformative from an IT perspective. So I use that model and I really try to make sure that we've got the right people in the right seats. First and foremost, that people are are actually running, you know, that can actually do the job that you need them to do, depending where you're going to be at in that model. I love that. Maybe a a quick follow up, you know, how does that relate to tooling inside the enterprise? And and maybe even before that, no matter what stage you're in, run and 
enhance, grow, innovate, or, or what strategies you're implementing, where does budgeting play into that? It's got to be a, a large component, but how does that interact with your strategies? How does that interact with your CFO as you're looking to implement? And then maybe secondarily, then how do you start looking at tooling yeah. from there? So the person who cares most about IT in the organization is typically the IT leader. Mm-hmm. The person who cares second most about IT is the CFO. No question. Hands I down. Love that. So, and the CFO is usually driven by budget and cost, right? Making sure that we're spending effectively. And I've had some CFOs that I've worked for who are really good at knowing and understanding the investment that it requires to support and grow and, and make IT a really good part of the business. I've had other CFOs where it's just like, IT is a cost center, you yeah. know, manage it as narrowly as you possibly can. So budgeting is always in the conversation. How strict are the rules around budgeting depends on the CFO's philosophy and it depends on the phase of the company. If you're in a high growth company, most CFOs are going to be a little more lenient in terms of how they want to grow and budget for what IT is doing. And if you're more mature phase um, where metrics matter, you know, like rule of 40 and things like that, then they're going to tighten down the screws, so to speak, and say, let's manage IT more effectively. And that's where SaaS management really comes into play. If you're ahead of that game, and actually running a SaaS management program, and I'll call it a program because I think it is a program, Mm -hmm. then the conversation of tightening down the screws with the CFO is a lot easier than it is if you're in that high growth phase. And it's just like, go spend. And we don't really care about what you're spending because we're trying to grow. But as an IT leader, I think that you need to have the mindset of SaaS management, given that it is the number two cost in most organizations. If you spend a lot of time and effort on that bucket... I think you'll be ahead of the game when the time comes to tighten down the screws. Yeah, I like that. It's a tactical motion on day one. You've always mentioned that. It's why when you've landed at new spots, we always have early conversations. Yeah. And as you mentioned, SaaS management, that's really a program, something that you're looking to establish. So for you, what is your definition or kind of your perspective on what a SaaS management program is as a CIO? Yeah. So you've got to get your arms around the complete inventory, I think is, is kind of the first step. Uh, you've got to have, I remember when I was an instructor, uh, we were going through an exercise and it was like, Hey, how many tools do we have? And this was back in 2014 before SaaS management really became a thing. And we couldn't answer that question very effectively. So we started putting together a spreadsheet. We put a spreadsheet together. We started listing all the applications that we knew of. We started looking at where we were spending money and we came up with, uh, I think uh, like 150 applications or something like that. And then, uh, you know, shortly into that exercise is when I was introduced to Zylo. Zylo did their magic and uh, we found out that we, I think we had like, I don't know, 350 applications. I mean, yeah. the number was just astonishing through that exercise to go, wow, we really don't know what we have. And so I think you've got to understand the complete inventory of what applications do you have, whether that's through your AP spend, through your expense spend, or through the credit card spend that I think gets ignored in a lot of organizations is, you know, or even through the freemium versions of, of you know, open source uh, software programs that are, are coming into the, into the company that uh, may or may not be known. So I'd say that's probably the first bucket that you want to look at is what do we have? Once you have that together, then I think that you need to understand total spend and utilization against that spend. Oftentimes when you're looking at Salesforce is a good example, right? You have a hundred, 500,000 licenses. Are you utilizing those licenses? And going back to the IPO path, Auditors will require you to do reviews over who has access to key systems, right? But as a, as a common and as a best IT practice, you should be looking at your key systems in that way 
regardless of whether you're being audited, right? You should always take a look and say, how are we having the high utilization out of these systems given the spend that we have? And so you need to look at the utilization of the system, uh, making sure that if you have a thousand licenses of whatever, that you're actually getting close to 95, at least 95% value out of those licenses. You have to hold some in reserve because you want to be able to grow into the platform and not, not overspend. The other piece that I think is important that once you get more mature into that SaaS management cycle or that program is really understanding renewals and making sure that you're on top of the renewals. Uh, you need to understand where you might have duplication, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like video conferencing, I think is, is a prime example. You might have Zoom, you might have Microsoft Teams, you might have Ring Central, you might have like all different sorts of video conferencing. Is there opportunity to consolidate? And, you know, understanding the renewal cycle of all of those applications is really important so that you can reduce and consolidate some of that spend across the organization. And then finally, I would say benchmarking is the key component there because you want to know if you're spending a million dollars on Salesforce, is that high, medium or low compared to others that are of similar size or have a similar footprint. And so I think I would say benchmarking is a really key component of understanding and managing the overall SaaS SAS footprints. I can imagine, especially having uh, benchmarking is probably helpful in those conversations with your CFO. So again, depending on what stage you're at and the stage of a company and the ultimate goals, but would imagine having that detail is tremendously helpful in, in those yeah, conversations. It really is. In fact, it's one of the top questions at my current company. We don't use Zylo, but we have we have a practice where we're trying to implement a SaaS management program. And one Mm -hmm. of the top questions that I get is, well, how does that compare to others, what we're spending? And so the transparency to benchmarking is vitally important, um, especially when it comes to a SaaS management solution, right? We have to have clarity around, you know, Gartner and other companies offer these services where you can say, okay, hey, we have this huge contract. Can you help us negotiate? Where should we be? But when it comes to really being SaaS driven, you want that built into the platform, into the SaaS management platform that you're using to help you understand where you're being rather than having to go and pay for a consulting agreement to, you know, you're paying money to help you save money, which is kind of counterintuitive in my opinion. Are you blown away by the amazing work our SaaSme Unfiltered guests are doing? Now you can join them at SaaSme, the industry's only SaaS management event. Hear from the experts, discover trends, and learn from the pros knee-deep in this shit every single day. Register today at SaaSme.com. That's S-A-A-S-M-E dot com. Yeah, I want to follow up, Gordon, on... You've hit on it a couple times now. You said a SaaS management program. It's very near and dear to our hearts. Ashley and I talk about it every single day. There is a case to be made that a program for SaaS management is really centered around an event, and uh, that magical event where you know driving optimization, making changes, adjustments, modifications, getting security terms in place. All of that is happening around the renewal. And a SaaS management program, the backbone is the entire renewal process, which provides enough value to be able to 
pay for or be able to provide enough overall value that you're able to chase governance and security and employee engagement while ensuring that you're optimizing your stack internally. And that happens usually most of the time at the renewal. Maybe talk a little bit of the criticality. And do you believe a SaaS management program revolves around that event across all of your applications? Or what is that high-level program definition for you? Yeah, I would say it's actually two events. It's intake and renewal. Intake is vitally important because most companies will have some sort of vendor intake process. But when you look at it from a pure, the reason why I call it a program is because of how many people SaaS touches, especially upon intake and renewal. When you think about the intake process, you have procurement, you have finance, you have information security, you have IT, you have all these different parts of the organization, you have legal, right? You have all these people who are looking at, we're doing new business with a vendor, How do we manage this effectively? And I don't want to call it, most companies will call it vendor intake, but I think that Mm -hmm. that vendor intake is part of the overall SaaS management program, right? It is a piece of the puzzle when you say we run a SaaS management program and vendor intake is part of that. Renewals is part of that, right? So when a renewal comes, fewer players are involved, right? So you still have IT, you still have finance, and you still have procurement. Legal is less involved because we've typically agreed to the terms and conditions with with the organization, but you still have to manage that collectively. Procurement doesn't roll up to me. Finance doesn't roll up to me. I don't roll up to them. And so to make sure that you're all on the same page, I think that you do have, you know, I've even thought about initially calling it something at Salsify, like maybe we have a SaaS management committee or, you know, rather than a program, maybe it's a committee, right? And therefore you can start small and then get some traction towards an an overall program where it's, it's managed more effectively. Yeah. I like how you've kind of run that around the life cycle of an application intake or the purchase you know, the renewal after, you know, ongoing usage. What about that last component, which is offboarding or deprecating apps? Is that a critical point for you as well? For sure. Yeah. And, and I, and I do think that that is something even in my own experience, that is something that is forgotten, right? We kind of, we don't offboard vendors in the right way, right? You have to be thinking about, you have to think about privacy. You have to get rid of data. You have to make sure that uh, you have evidence that you know your information has been cleansed from the SaaS provider, so to speak. So that certainly does fall into the... And I would say that that piece less procurement and more yeah. IT and more information security, you know, in terms of running that program effectively. Yeah. Awesome. So you've had a lot of experience, like you mentioned, when you were kind of charged an instructor with trying to like figure out what are all your tools? And you started with putting everything in Excel, compiling that list, later using Xylo. You, you've had the opportunity to use other SaaS management platforms as well. Um, so you have a, a tremendous breadth of experience with different approaches and ways that you can, the way you can approach tooling, right? So would love to hear a little bit of, from your point of view, the criticality, you know, if and where that lies for you, a little bit of a hot take. Yeah, I would say, you know, you kind of look at tooling from... Uh, must have, need to have, nice to have perspective, right? And to me, SaaS management is a must have. And the reason why I believe that, again, going back to leaning on the metric, right? It's the number two spend in especially SaaS companies. And for more traditional legacy or on-premise companies, it's going to be a cost that continues to creep up. And traditional software asset tracking solutions aren't going to help you manage that. Um, so to me, it falls into the camp of, of must have. And as Corey alluded to, I've now been at three different organizations since I was first uh, introduced to Xylo. And usually one of my top initiatives when I start within the first 90 days is 
what are we doing around SaaS management? And so it, it is one of those things that I really think is, is a must have. Well, that's really awesome. Gordon, all of these insights, you know, how you think about building IT, building IT strategy, preparing for IPOs, a SaaS management program and the core tenants there are fantastic. Uh, I think you've shared a lot of insight and I think you probably have more than the average IT leader based on your experience of coming in, assessing problems, implementing a methodology and going as quickly as possible. Uh, so thank you for that. We are going to round out the show in, in the best way possible that we know how, which is uh, running a fun little uh, rapid fire word association. So we'll hit on a couple quick points. You associate uh, your thoughts on that. Can be a sentence, can be a single word, uh, and we'll round it out that way. Are you ready? I hope so. <laughs> All right. Give me your favorite SaaS tool, both on the personal side and on the professional and working side. Okay. It's easy on the personal side of it because I use it the most. It's called the Grint. And so for any yes. golfer out there, yes. that's I use the Grint like all the time. <laughs> so that's well, easy. I'll follow you so that I can see your scores. Well, I don't know if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> on the work side of things, to be honest, I spend a lot of my time in Microsoft OneNote. I really do. And, and the reason why I do, I love Google and I love the tasks. I use Google tasks all the time, but OneNote really helps me kind of consolidate everything that I need to do from, from an overall organization perspective. And with my position and the responsibilities that I have, I just have to have a way of organizing and tracking. I will say this. Um, I do like Jira Atlassian quite a bit because it helps me understand from a program portfolio perspective, what are we doing? I haven't found a better tool. And so I think that it's good enough and it really helps me manage things more effectively. Yeah. Shout out Atlassian. We use it internally as well. Also OneNote. I'm obsessed with OneNote and <laughs> so, yeah, big fan Lit every day. It's always up on my, the right hand uh, monitor. So next one here, uh, your number one skill trait that a CIO must have. I can't answer that in one word. Here's how I'll, here's how okay. I'll describe. I think successful CIOs really have a good skill around understanding the completeness of the business and developing relationships within the business to help understand where value needs to be driven from an IT perspective. So I can't, that's hard for me to kind of say in one word what I think the top skill is, but I do think that developing relationships and really understanding the breadth of the business in detail, right? It's not just about understanding that there's marketing and there's sales and there's manufacturing and all these things, right? In my opinion, being the CIO is the hardest job at a company because you have to understand in depth everything across the business, right? In order to support the business properly. And I don't know of any other organization that supports uh, the business as deeply as an IT organization does. Good one. Okay, my turn. I can't mention in the introduction that you're an avid bagpiper and not ask a question on this. So this could be a little larger, but give me your favorite location, your favorite experience or a neat story around uh, your bagpiping. And I think everybody will enjoy this. Yeah. So there's there's two stories for me that come to mind. The first story is when I was first part of... Uh, so I play in a competition band called the Salt Lake Scots. And we go to different parts of the country to compete. Uh, one of the places that we started competing at is in a place called Moab. Most people have probably heard of Moab yeah. and the Red Rocks at Moab. And if you've had an opportunity to be at Moab and go to Arches National Park, 
we went into Net Arches National Park and we actually climbed up on some of the, not on top of the arches, but underneath some of the arches. And we would uh, have, you know, just minor bagpipe performances. And so it's just, a, it's a really like, it's incredible, it's super loud. Like when you get into that setting with the red rock there and, and hear how, I mean, the bagpipe is a loud, loud instrument, but when you have the echoes of the rocks behind you, it's just, it was, it was an amazing experience. But I think my personal favorite, um, Hopefully I won't get too emotional about this, but my mom's buried in Scotland. So I've been able to pipe at her at the grave where she's buried at is, is probably my, my second favorite or it could be my top favorite place to, to bagpipe. Yeah. I've got to imagine that. Wow. What an amazing experience. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. That's amazing. We'll definitely have to uh, to see a performance sometime, Gordon. I don't know if there's anything out there on YouTube or. There are just Google. Oh, the Salt- okay. Yeah. Google the Salt Lake Scots. I'm actually. This one's a little more embarrassing. I'm actually, I've been featured on America's Funniest Home Videos and there's a segment and I'll have to forward it to you guys. But anyway, there's a segment where we're actually marching. uh, We're doing, uh, it's called the Festival of Trees. It's kind of a charity event that we do in Salt Lake City and we're marching. And as as we turn the corner, I fall down flat on my back. And then I quickly get back up and start piping him. Anyway, so that, but anyway, you can Google the Salt Lake Scots. We have plenty okay. of features that you can listen to. We'll drop a link in the comments on the show as well. That'd so check it out. Yep. Yep. Nice. Well, have to ask you our last uh, rapid fire here, your favorite place in Italy. Depends on what you want, but I always fall back on Rome. I love Rome. I love uh, the streets of Rome. I love everything about Rome. Like it's just such a, a beautiful city, easy to walk so much history. I spent 12 months of my life there, you know, just living in Rome. I love the Amalfi coast. I love Sardinia. There's, I mean, there's just so much in Italy to see, but I would say Rome is probably my favorite uh, just because of everything it has to offer. Great pick. Love it. (laughs) Great pick. Well, Gordon, uh, we can't thank you enough, both for your ongoing partnership with us, you know, from category creation to where we're at today. uh, You've been a a critical part of that and a a great strategic partner. Your insights on your journey as the CIO, how you run your playbook, how you think about SaaS management. uh, These are all must-listen topics, so it's phenomenal to be able to have this conversation on the podcast. So thank you so much for joining us today, uh, and I look forward to talking again here soon. All right. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Did you enjoy the episode? Pass it along to your friends. Subscribe to get notifications for the latest episode. Share your favorite takeaways and join the conversation on social media using hashtag SASMeUnfiltered. Unfiltered.